Blog Talk Radio. A new beginning. Welcome to all at Left of the Valley with Kevin and Karen. Kevin here flying solo tonight. Uh, Karen is busy doing some research and other things, so you guys are stuck with me. All right. Thank you so much for being here tonight, guys. I appreciate that. <laughs> First show of the year, and uh, we're going to have some interesting things going on here today. Uh, we've got a great show for you guys today. Uh, we have His Rawness. Arn Raw. We have an interview with him that we'll be playing towards the end of the show. Uh, for now, uh, we got some few things that we want to uh, air for you guys today. Um, uh, this is probably going to be, hopefully, one of our last show. Uh, we're in talks with CIVL 101.7 FM, and we'll be broadcasting uh, on the uh, airwaves with them, hopefully soon enough. I'm hoping to get this done somewhere in the early of, of this year. Uh, we also have, uh, I have a list for you guys today about the uh, top moments in the year 2014 that uh, free thinkers should have followed. I'll be reading that for you guys today. But right now, we will go into our, where is this, our segment about this day in history. And uh, this one is brought to you by Nancy. Thank you, Nancy. Appreciate that. Okay, this is what Nancy saw, sent to us. She sent to us something different today. Instead of doing a two-week wrap-up of what goes on in history, she decided to concentrate on one, just one day on January 4th and uh, sent us quite a list of what's going on there. Um, so, January 4th, and this is what she sent. The day in history, January 4th, and now we turn to the interesting, mundane, obscure, and wild and wacky and utterly bizarre events that altered and illuminated history on January 4th. First, the mundane and semi-interesting... The earliest recorded event on January 4th was in 46 BC when Julius Caesar was defeated by Titus Labinus. I hope I read this right. In the Battle of Ruspina. Sorry, Nancy, if I mashed that up. In 1887, Thomas Stevens was the first man to bicycle around the world. No record if he was also the first man to receive knee surgery or have bugs permanently removed from his teeth. <laughs> This is truly interesting. In uh, 1958, Sir Edmund Hillary reached the South Pole, and in 2000, Catherine Hartley and uh, Fiona Thornwell, two British women, took 71 days to reach it on the same day. They later trekked to the North Pole, becoming the first women to reach both poles. A little gender bias here from Nancy, and what about historians? Famous birthdays include Charles Stratton, otherwise known as... Who? Tom Thumb from 1838 and Don Swalla, Miami Dolphins coach in 1930. Now we come to the utterly bizarre and shocking event of January 4th. Um, if you hate animals, abuse stories, and you want to stick your fingers in your ears and go la 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 for the next two minutes. So whoever is left, this day that commemorates the electrocution of Topsy the Elephant in 1903. Really? This is a Stranger Than Fiction event with a cast of characters that include George Westinghouse, Thomas Edison, 
and it took place at all location Coney Island. Topsy was an elephant, an Indian elephant, born around 1875 and sold to the Four Paw Circus. At maturity, and this is important to the story, she was 10 feet high, 20 feet long, and weighed between 4 and 6 tons. Now, from all accounts, she was not treated well at Four Paw and got the reputation for being a bad elephant. Bad elephant. She was sold in 1902 to the owner of Coney Island Sea Lion Park, where a number of other incidents of mistreatment occurred, rendering her, through no fault of her own, a rogue elephant. No other circus in this or zoo would accept her, so the owners of Luna Park decided to euthanize her by hanging. Can you imagine? But the American Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals stepped in and forbade the hanging from moving forward. Other solutions such as strangling and poisoning were also considered. And surprisingly, the ASPCA had no objection to either. Although I'm not sure how hanging and strangling would be different. Finally, it was decided to electrocute her by alternating current, invented by George Westinghouse, and to use the electric tower on Coney Island, built by Thomas Edison to do it. Apparently, crowds up to 1,500 spectators came to the event. Topsy was let out to the area and fitted with copper sandals with AC lines. She was fed carrots laced with potassium cyanide, and then... 6,600 volts of AC current was sent through her body for 10 seconds. Mercifully, she died instantly without a sound or struggle. Cameramen from the Edison Manufacturing Company filmed the event as a short actuality film, and it exists today under the title Electrocuting an Elephant. I'm going to have to look that up. Topsy has been commemorated at a memorial art piece at Coney Island. If you'd like to read about her in more details... There is a book titled Topsy, the Starling Story of the Crooked Tail Elephant by Michael Daly. Okie dokie, not to leave you guys too depressed on this beautiful January 4th. Here's a feel good story with a Canada connection. Uh, in 1863, uh, James Plimpton from Massachusetts patented the first four wheeled roller skates and opened up several, ro- uh, several roller rinks. His invention and rink building led straight to an arrow as an arrow, to Vancouver, where in 2006, Michelle Lamoureux, a.k.a. Mickey Mercury, founded the Terminal City Roller Girls. You go, girls! So, thank you so much, Nancy. That was our segment for the uh, this day in history. Awesome. <laughs> what is secular humanism? critical thinking. Knowledge is freedom. Freedom from ignorance and its offspring, fear. The BC Humanist Association has been active in the Vancouver area for over 25 years. We offer a friendly and welcoming place to make new friends, as well as free educational lectures. We invite you to join us any Sunday at 10 a.m. in the Oak Ridge Senior Centers. Please visit our website for more details bchumanist.ca and now we got a special treat for you guys that we actually have a first a report from our correspondent in uh, the outlying areas of Abbotsford Mission. So we got a report from the Chilliwack. Uh, we have Alistair that's going to be giving us a report here, and uh, here he goes. I'm having a bit of technical difficulty playing online here, but that's okay. We're going to make it work. Hold on a sec. Delivered to you by me, the Reformed, at the First United Congregation of New Atheism. 
where we pay homage to the unholy trinity of Seth, Matt, and Aaron Roth, and where things like Cain, Hawking, and Hitchens are made of reason and not miracles. Okay, so let's start with some federal news. The federal NDP party have voted in a new candidate for the Chilliwack Hope Riding. Shona McPherson is a professor of adult education at the University of the Fraser Valley. She's an author, and according to her bio, she cares about human rights, poverty alleviation, civil rights, and social action. Ms. McPherson will be up against federal liberal candidate, Luis Yeager, and should he see his own shadow and not run away, Conservative MP Chuck Strahl. I'm hoping to have an interview with Ms. McPherson for a later edition of uh, the Reformation Report to Left of the Valley in the new year. On December 23rd, the Chilliwack Times wrote a story called Meningitis Patients Recovery at Chilliwack General Called a Miracle. Now to clarify, it was the family and a solo physiotherapist who called the patient's recovery a miracle. At no time were any doctors quoted as saying it was a miracle. In fact, by reading the report, you can determine that the patient's recovery was actually due to the very healthy response to the antibiotics, the general medical intervention, and the fact that the patient had very strong physical health. In fact, it was noted that uh, the patient is a long-distance and marathon runner. Now, recovery time for most meningitis sufferers, depending on the severity of the case, is between two to four weeks. And even then, you've got weeks and months of ongoing recovery, with some people suffering permanent disability. So the fact that the patient left the hospital in 19 days is by no means a miracle. It's just simply medical science. Now, currently, the city of Chilliwack has a policy in place whereby places of worship are exempt from paying property taxes. The current policy lists 61 places of worship. However, the policy is 12 years old. And it's my intention as part of the Reformation Report to find out what the current number of properties exempt from the tax are and how much revenue is being lost through this exemption. Because that loss of tax and uh, that loss of revenue gets put back onto the regular taxpayers and we have to cover the cost of uh, those places of worship having um, the use of all the city utilities. So that'll be interesting. And finally, Things are heating up on the pages of the Chilliwack Times as the godly are coming out fighting every time the paper prints an article under the Faith Today section by a free thinker, an atheist, or a humanist. Every time an article gets printed, the holy come out screaming, they rant, they rave. It's really quite funny. And I would just like to encourage everyone who's out there to uh, write the Chilliwack Times and get their opinion out there. And lastly, I just want to say thank you to Kevin and Karen for giving me the reforms and opportunity to provide the news from Chilliwack. And uh, enjoy the rest of the show, guys. Take care. Thank you, Alistair. Appreciate that. Uh, sorry about that, guys. I'm going to put my mic back there. Uh, that was our first report from uh, the Reformation Report from uh, Alistair, and uh, we look forward to hearing a lot more from him soon uh, down the road. Jeez, my buttons aren't working today. Come on. There we go. You know me, always got to use my drops. 
Um, so going on there, like I said, I've got this uh, this uh, uh, interview I just did with Arn Raw. Uh, fantastic guy, by the way. Uh, I was always uh, incredibly surprised by how uh, smart he is, although he's not, you know, he's not Professor Raw. He's not an astrophysicist or anything like that. Yet, you know, for a regular guy, he holds his his weight upon, uh, with all these uh, heavy punchers in the movement. And I was quite uh, excited to um, interview him. Uh, we'll be playing that very soon here. Uh, there was a bit of uh, audio distortion, uh, but uh, we'll get to that nonetheless. Uh, now, before I move uh, further ahead, I wanted to... Um, Mark, our friend Mark Cunningham, who will be uh, actually uh, helping us uh, as a co-host on the CIVL radio, uh, had something that he wanted to put in uh, because uh, it is the uh, the time of year where a lot of people give the cherry. So I'm just going to find a right that clip right hit here and uh, play that. Hold on a sec. At this time of year, we tend to look at making donations to charities. So I thought I'd list a few of my favorite secular organizations who are making a difference around the world. Here they are in no particular order. The United Nations Children's Fund. UNICEF mobilizes political will and material resources to help countries, particularly developing countries, ensure a first call for children and to build their capacity to form appropriate policies and deliver services for children and their families. UNICEF provides emergency and disaster relief. You can find more about them at their website, which is unicef.org, U-N-I-C-E-F.org. Doctors Without Borders is an international, independent, medical, humanitarian organization that delivers emergency aid to people affected by armed conflict, epidemics, natural and man-made disasters, and who have no access to health care. They are active in over 70 countries. Their website is doctorswithoutborders.org. Amnesty International. AI's vision is of a world in which every person enjoys all the human rights enshrined in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and other international human rights standards. In pursuit of this vision, AI's mission is to undertake research and action focused on preventing and ending grave abuses of the rights to physical and mental integrity, freedom of conscience and expression, and freedom from discrimination within the context of its work to promote all human rights. They can be found at amnesty.org. Oxfam International is a confederation of 12 organisations working together with over 3,000 partners in more than 100 countries to find lasting solutions to poverty, suffering and injustice. Oxfam operates in over 100 countries worldwide, working with local partners to alleviate poverty and injustice. The Nature Conservancy is a leading international non-profit organization dedicated to preserving the diversity of life on Earth, an environmental group that protects natural habitats and its wildlife within them. It focuses on science-based initiatives. You can find them at nature.org. Population Connection is a grassroots population organization that educates young people and advocates progressive action to stabilize world population at a level that can be sustained by Earth's resources. It works against faith-based policies that are supported by the religious right. You can find them at populationconnection.org. 
the Union of Concerned Scientists, are the leading science-based non-profit organization working for a healthy environment and a safer world. You can find them at ucsusa.org. That's ucsusa.org. Engender Health is an international non-profit organization that has been working for 60 years to make reproductive health services safe, available and sustainable for women and men worldwide. You can learn more at engenderhealth.org. Engenderhealth.org. IPAS is a global non-governmental organization dedicated to ending preventable deaths and disabilities from unsafe abortion. Through local, national and global partnerships, IPAS works to ensure that women can obtain safe, respectful and comprehensive abortion care, including counselling and contraception to prevent future unintended pregnancies. You can check them out on IPAS.org. IPAS.org. And finally, I'll end with Kiva. Kiva is slightly different. It's a non-profit organisation with a mission to connect people through lending to alleviate poverty. Leveraging the internet and a worldwide network of microfinance institutions, Kiva lets individuals lend as little as $25 to help create opportunity for unique small businesses in the developing world. They can be found at kiva.org, K-I-V-A dot org. That's just a few of the many fine secular charities that are working around the world, and I hope you will check a few of them out. Have a great 2015. Thank you, Mark, for this interesting report. Uh, if you guys want to check out those charities, it's definitely worthwhile. Yeah, let's give an applause for Mark here in his report. Yeah, where is it? Sorry about that, Mark. <laughs> Not fast enough on the button, apparently. There you go. Bigger applause for that. <laughs> okay, well, uh, during the year, uh, this is one of those times where everybody makes one of those lists. You know what I'm talking about. Those lists where, you know, it's the uh, top ten things of 2014, top ten, whatever. So I made, you know, a bit of a list here at the uh, Left of the Valley. We thought we'd make a bit of a list. Um, the top stories of 2014, we do the same thing, but it's not a top ten. It's more like a top thirteen. So I'm going to read this off for you guys. And uh, <clears throat> these are the stories I think free thinkers should have followed. Um, coming in at number 13, um, the Ebola virus. Uh, because it caused panic. It's an important story because of the lessons that we learned from that. Canada apparently turned away 176 people at this point with a uh, travel ban f- uh, from countries that were affected. Um, and Canada committed $110 million to fight Ebola. But unlike the U.S., there was no overreaction to the story. Um, In the U.S., for example, some colleges would send rejection letters to uh, Nigerian students. Um, Anybody vomiting uh, created hazmat shutdowns. Uh, If you were sick on a plane, you were actually locked up in the bathroom, etc., etc. And the lesson here was that public medicine in a government lab, in a Canadian government lab, created a vaccine. and it's an important lesson because uh, we have a tendency, uh, our government uh, today have a tendency to go, oh, we need to privatize everything. Well, you know what? Private companies had no interest in developing an Ebola virus uh, vaccine. No interest whatsoever because it's relatively rare. And uh, they just don't see a market for it. Well, you know, they just got caught with their pants now. And this is a very important lesson that we uh, need to learn about that. 
Uh, I heard that apparently Merck offered $50 million for the commercial rights to this vaccine. But there's a company called New Link Genetics, some kind of a middleman. Apparently they have the rights to it right now. So it's, I guess it's a story we'll have to follow. Number 12. Number 12. <laughs> the annual population is half of what it was 40 years ago. Now this is from the BBC and was from the London Zoological Society. It basically said there is a 52% decline in anything from mammals to reptiles to amphibians. And in the water, it's even worse. A 76% decline for freshwater species. Um, the report says that tree cutting, overfishing, overuse of water, and carbon burning is blamed for all this. Uh, and it's an important story to follow because there are still some climate deniers out there. And if you are a free thinkers, a free thinker, this is something you just should pipe up about. You know, you just can't stay silent about this anymore. Number 11. Greece versus Galloway. Now, this is the town of Greece versus Susan Galloway. It was in the U.S. Why is it an important story? You say, well, it's a U.S. story. What do we care? Uh, because it, uh, it, in the U.S., they have in their constitution this uh, separation of church and state. And uh, they would open their board meetings uh, at the city with prayer. Uh, which is against their separation of church and state. And in a 5-4 decision, the, basically the Supreme Court said, yeah, you're allowed to do that. And it created, this created a, a big free-for-all. You know, it's, 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 it's a big kerfuffle. Uh, and it's important for us Canadians as well because unlike uh, the U.S., Canada's constitution does not uh, distinctly create, in, in, the, in the wording anyway, a separation of church and state. Although the Supreme Court... Uh, basically recognize that Canada was a secular country, there are still these kind of fights that can happen here. Okay, number 10. Dr. Oz is grilled. Oh, I love this one. Dr. Oz, you remember Dr. Oz. Uh, he's that uh, wacko doctor that uh, basically was pushed by Oprah. You know, my rule of thumb is everybody that Oprah pushes, you stay away from. I think she's a phony. Uh, he admits uh, that the weight loss product don't pass scientific muster. Uh, he appeared in front of the Senate Consumer Protection Panel, and he said the language was flowery to sell a green coffee fat burner. And this is a very good example of why it's important to be a skeptic in this day and age. Because, you know, if you just go listen to every Tom, Dick, and Harry that looks like a doctor, or even is a doctor, always beware of the source. And Dr. Oz is a perfect example of medicine gone too far, or, you know, trying to sell you stuff. Anyway, number nine. Gravitation waves for the Big Bang are detected. Now, these are twists of light, or basically spirals, a bit like, you know, when you do a little swirl. We talked about this earlier during the year with Liam's science segment. Um, there were the first images of ripples caused from the Big Bang. Uh, there are also kind of proof that the theory of inflation, which is the, the quick expansion of the universe, and it was a theory that was done by Mark, God, I hope I don't butcher this, and it will, Kamionkowski, it's a, he's at John Hopkins University, he predicted this in 1977. Um, the background imaging of cosmic uh, extragalactic polarization 2, this is uh, the, the bicep 2, if you wish, background imaging, cosmic extragalactic 
extragalactic polarization too, uh, they found a pattern in the light left over from the Big Bang. And there was also this wonderful video where he actually wasn't there for the discovery itself. He made the prediction, but one of his students came down to the house and basically told him that day, he said, yeah, uh, you were right. And it's a wonderful little video to watch if you see it. Google it, I guess. Number eight. Bill Maher and Sam Harris versus Ben Affleck. Yeah, that was on his show real time. No, that was one of the stories that drew a lot of ink. And I mean a lot of ink. Um, is it okay to criticize religion? Is it necessary? Was it a mis- is it a mistake to treat religion as a race? Yeah, absolutely it is. Uh, race doesn't give us... Uh, race doesn't give us an idea on one's mindset. But religion does. And it's a mistake that uh, Bill and Sam got a lot of heat over this, but I think essentially they're right. Um, now, I don't want to pick exactly just on Islam. I'll, I think I would pick on all the religions, because it's exactly that. When you're, uh, If you're a person of African descent, uh, you don't, it, it doesn't tell us what goes on through your mind. But when you're uh, Muslim, no matter what the color of your skin... Or Christian, no matter what the color of your skin, or whatever, you know, Hindu, or even, you know, uh, Buddhist, uh, it gives us a a very clear idea of what goes on in your mind, especially the more devout you are as a person. So it was one of those stories you had to follow in 2014. Number seven. The IPCC report. That was the International Panel on Climate Change Report. Yeah, another climate change story. Um seems that every report gets more and more grim. Uh, they warn uh, that speedier action is needed, and uh, decades of foot-dragging in politics have made the situation critical. And, you know, we just cannot wait another decade to act. And that's what we're doing right now. It really bothers me that, you know, uh, during World War II, when it comes time to fight the Nazis, uh, we can turn factories around in six months to build tanks, uh, but here, you know, we're we're trying to save the world. We're trying to save the species, but that needs to twi- that that needs to take you know twenty years to improve our our carbon reductions by ten percent. It, it's it's maddening. It's ridiculous, and we don't need to be there at this stage in our development of, as a society. And uh, as a free thinker, we need to get serious about something like that. Number six, the return of cosmos. Yes, Neil deGrasse Tyson replaces Carl Sagan, the legendary Carl Sagan. That was a very exciting time. Uh, I'm watching the entire series, and I just read today that apparently number two, season two, is in the mix. So if you have not seen that, uh, you heard it here first. Uh, those were the rumors of the new series. Um, the series created much backlash, including stations cutting controversial footage. You remember that story about Oklahoma, uh, basically, basically cutting off some of the footage uh, because he was going to talk about evolution. Uh, but the real question is, is the ret- uh, the return of Cosmos uh, enough to inspire new a new generation to science? I certainly hope so. And I hope they keep pushing this, because, you know, in, in a world in 2014, we saw more and more of this, how do I call this, glorification of the dumbing down of society. You know, I'm not a very eloquent person. I'm not a scientist. I'm not super brainy or smart. But for Christ's sake, even I look at some of the TV out there today and I think, oh, this is horrible. Whatever happened? Why why are we stuck watching something like Honey Boo Boo now? 
It, it's it's horrendous. What, what happened to the smart stuff? Even the Discovery Channel now is pitiful. The, and don't even get me started on the History Channel. It's not even history anymore. It's where are the aliens, you know, and let's find some forensic geologists to discover the lost pyramid in the Grand Canyon. It's ridiculous. But anyway, I digress. Number five. This is Texas Approve the Books. Now, we're going to talk a bit more about that with our friend Arn Raw on the on the uh, interview that we have coming up here. Uh, but what happened here is the Texas School Board approves the books uh, teaching Moses as an influence on the founding fathers of the United States. Why is this important? Why, why, why should I care if I'm a Canadian? Um, because it just shows how these people are willing, how far they're willing to go. Uh, of course... We don't have the same kind of fight up here in Canada, and something like that might not happen. Uh, but it's good to be to, to be watchful of something like this, see how they take it. Uh, because uh, down there, the politicians in the United States, uh, they're not bashful about this. They're, they're, they're essentially trying to turn the United States into a theocracy, a theocracy. And personally, I think they're about two steps away from doing it. Um, in Texas... The school boards in Texas, they kind of set a bit of a benchmark, benchmark for other states. Not all of them are, it says uh, later on, it says, but uh, it used to be more true, but still, they kind of set the standard. So when when Texas says, okay, this is the book we're giving our kids, well, then Tennessee kind of rubber stamps it, too, or and, uh, Arizona, and the, these kind of states do it. And that's a bit of a problem. Um I, I read down that the historians and the scientists were not given much of a chance to, to express their point, but Aaron uh, said otherwise on the interview, so we'll set that aside. Uh, and it does just set a dangerous precedent. Story number four for the year. Florida blocks Satanists. Now, this is similar to the Chilliwack situation. Uh, we spoke briefly about this in the podcast in the past. Um, school board approved a Bible distribution. Uh, here in Chilliwack, we had kind of the same situation with the Gideons. You know, they didn't distribute the Bible so much inside the school, if I remember correctly, but, you know, they were allowing the Gideons to kind of give out Bibles nonetheless, and I think that's a problem. But the Satanists down there, they applied to distribute a coloring book uh, with uh, kid-friendly satanic images. It was kind of funny. It was, you know, little kid, he's got a t-shirt, and he's got a goat on it, and, you know, little, little Adventures of Billy kind of thing, and it's it's very tame, except for the images, you know, that kind of make the, the little kid, you know, a bit wear the sat- satanic colors. But it's 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 very mild. But the, the, as soon as the schools saw that, they revised what they call their passive distribution policy. And uh, something that, uh, a bit of an example that atheists could pick from the Satanists, and personally I think the atheists should have led that fight, And uh, but the Satanists got to it, and they did it right. And it's something we can certainly uh, mimic and do up here. Story number three. Trinity Western University. Ah, yeah, we've been following that for a while, and so have you. They applied for law school, right? They were originally granted by the BC government and recognized by the BC Association of Lawyers. But the members, though, thought it was a mistake. And they used a referendum to force the association to reconsider. And then the decision was reversed by the association and the government as well. And now, at this point, they are... Uh, going to court and going to try to appeal that. And this was, of course, based on the fact that they had some kind of a covenant you had to sign as a student where you were you would refrain from uh, having any kind of a sexual encounter unless you were married, and especially if you were gay, which is it's just discrimination, whichever way you want to look at it. And I was kind of appalled by how the media treated this story, which was not, it was almost kind of biased. 
I remember very well uh, talking to, uh, calling on the uh, Bill Good show at CKNW while he was still in the air, and he was almost like defending these guys, saying that we they were being discriminated against. I said, Bill, I said, what are you talking about? And these people are discriminating against gays and lesbians and the LGBTQ society, uh, you know, uh, section of the population, and you know, you you hear, you know, instead of being a reporter uh, and uh, you know, objective about this, you're essentially defending them, you know. Um, taking away your right to bigotry doesn't make you a victim, you know. <laughs> you know, demanding equal rights is not, you know, uh, is not, uh, they, these people deserve their rights. And, you know, to, you know, giving them equal rights is not persecuting you. Uh, so if you're a Christian and you believe that, you really need to reconsider your priorities. Um, story number two. The historic Comet landing. Yeah, we all watched that one. That was Comet 67P. They had the Rosetta mission that, uh, that was uh, sent a, uh, the probe that was called Philae to land on the comet. That was a 10-year mission. And uh, it took seven hours for the uh, for Philae to descend on the comet. Um, and it was pretty interesting that because the low gravity, uh, essentially when Philae touched, it kind of bounced. It kind of bounced up in the air, and it kind of landed again, and bounced again, and kind of landed. It did not land super straight, so it was kind of a bit of an angle, and they weren't sure they would get enough electricity for the solar panels. And But it inspired a new generation of space exploration, uh, the young kids. A lot of young kids were watching this. Uh, at this point, uh, we know that um, Philae has detected water, methane, hydrogen, formaldehyde, and hydrogen cyanide on the comet, and it was just a spectacular spectacular uh, event. And uh, the great thing about it, too, is it happened just at the same time where uh, Kim Kardashian was leaking those pictures of, you know, her naked somewhere, and it was called Break the Internet. Well, you know what? Uh, she was hoping to kind of, like, have this story be so big that it would, quote-unquote, break the Internet. Well, that story was beaten by a science story of that probe landing on that comet. Awesome. Absolutely Awesome. And of course, the number one story for 2014. <laughs> Just kidding. It was, of course, Left at the Valley with Kevin and Karen came to be. And uh, you guys have stuck with us all this point, at the, uh, all this time. So thank you so much for that. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, so we're going to go ahead here and play... Unless I've got something else here coming, guys. I don't think so. We got this uh, interview with Arn Raw. It was pre-recorded. I actually recorded just a few minutes before the show. Uh, I had a specific window of time. I had to go in with Arn. Uh, so I'm going to play that. It's a fairly lengthy interview. It lasts about 45 minutes to almost 50 minutes. Uh, the man is great. I love him. I think he's... Uh, he's uh, Maybe not as fearless as Christopher Hitchin was, but uh, he certainly is one of those guys that you want to look up to, and you always want to shake his hand and buy him a beer. And he will be at Imagine No Religion 5, so, uh, which is coming up in June in Richmond. Uh, so hold on a sec here. I'm going to play that, and I'll be back right after the interview to conclude the show. Okay, my next guest is probably the biggest nightmare creationist faced in Texas. His video series include the foundational falsehood of creationism, and it is a must for all atheists worth their salt. He is the co-host of the Ramen Podcast, and he was even mistaken for Bigfoot. And he is arguably the hardest working man in atheism today. Ladies and gentlemen, Arn Raw. Hello, Arn. Thank you very much. <laughs> Hear that? They love you up here, Arn. They just love you. 
Aaron, I know that um, most people know you and know you're fighting and know everything about you, but uh, can you give us, like your friend Seth would say, can you give us the Reader's Digest as to who you are and how you became such a prominent figure in atheism today? Uh, well, I, I found myself in one of those jobs where you have uh, unlimited browsing, you know, unlimited overtime at the same time. I was in this position for years where I was on news groups, talk.origins, for example, and, and I, I remember just, just arguing with these people all day, every day, for years on end, and reading all of their citations. So I found myself on a huge learning curve, uh, more so than I ever was in college. And so, uh, I mean, I read a lot of the, uh, the, the the old literature, the ancient mythology, Darwin and Huxley and uh, Martin Luther and so forth. And um, when I eventually came out of that job, I actually went back to school for it because I awakened, you know, an interest in all of this. And so I uh, went uh, back to school for a geoscience degree and just continued my education from there. I found in my arguments with uh, theists, with the creationists, that there were the same arguments that kept coming up again and again and again. So I made a series of videos, little 10-minute videos, uh, for people with short attention spans and no college education who would be able to understand the refutation for claims like that there's no beneficial mutations, that there's no transitional species, that you know that the Bible is the word of God, or that... And, you know, that, that evolution is just a theory and all of these sorts of things that I kept hearing repeated all the time and which were completely wrong and which I realized were, as I titled it, you know, the foundational false of the creationism, that creationism is actually based on a long string of false perceptions that they have to maintain. So they can't ever concede that, oh, yeah, there's plenty of transitional fossils. You know, they, they, they can't. It's. Sometimes they'll concede that there might be beneficial mutations, but there's always some sort of a caveat so that they don't really make a full admission. Hmm. Very interesting, very interesting. So, um, you're, like I said, you're obviously one of the biggest uh, fighters against the creationist movement, if we can even call it that, uh, down there in Texas, and it is pretty much ground zero, it would seem, from up here anyway. So what is the status of the, the fight, if you wish, against creationism down there for you guys? Well, it does seem like ground zero, uh, to be sure, because we have a a religious right dominionist uh, leadership. Our, our governor, our lieutenant governor, the most of the board of education, practically everybody in politics is you know devoutly religious, and they're they're all trying to pursue uh, uh, creationism in schools, and not just that, but everything else that comes attached to right wing religious right ideology. Uh, they, as famously, they've been trying to change history so that all of our historical influences are positive white Christian. They don't want to admit anything in their history that was embarrassing or bad or that America should not have done. And I think that's a that's a false lesson to give people. I mean, you can be proud of your country, but be aware of what your country has done because then you'll be aware of what your country could do and would do if if you allow it to. Uh, the, in um, sex ed, for example, one of the changes they made, of course, abstinence only. So uh, we, we have the highest rate of repeat pregnancies in the country. I mean, just everything that they try to implement for our education ends up turning up bad. 
So we testified on uh, the case of history, for example. They want to have a, a religious history. They want the, the United States to be founded on the Ten Commandments. And so we now have history books that say that. So we're now contesting the, t- the state. They had dozens of historians testifying that Moses was in no way any influence over the founding fathers and the constitution of this country, but they voted to ignore everything that the historians said. And then earlier, a couple of years ago, we had 150 uh, uh, scientists representing different scientific organizations arguing that evolution needed to be taught as fact. And this is when the chairman of our Board of Education famously said, someone has to stand up to experts. So (laughs) So it's never been about what's really true. And sometimes these people have actually admitted it. I've gotten this time, or a couple of times, I've gotten this admission in writing where it's, it doesn't matter what's really true. It only matters what people believe, that there's a consequence of believing this. So if, so you just you lie to them so that they believe it because they think there's a, there's a better purpose in making someone believe it than giving them the actual facts. Because I think that the you know, no understanding reality is somehow a detriment, which, of course, I, I can't begin to grasp. So these people, they're taking the idea of uh, history is written by the winners uh, a bit too literally, I guess. Uh, yes, they are. Yes, they are. And, and uh, yeah, they also hold to things like might makes right and the ends justify the means. Which is a, a disturbing uh, notion that I've been repeatedly told since I was a little kid, you know. The, the people in my in my family or the one in my childhood that we were mentors or babysitters or whatever kept delivering these authoritarian edicts to me and and I I don't know why I just never accepted that hmm. that whole thing about ours is not the reason why ours is but to do or die and they actually told me and this is one that really bothered me they told me that that ignorance is bliss and my response to that I remember I was eight years old when I said but knowledge is power. Mm-hmm. Pretty, so there's a there's a conflict of ideology. <laughs> uh, of course, in Canada, we 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 are facing um, the starting, it would seem, of an invasion of creationists. I mean, I live right here, uh, close to Abbotsford, which is essentially the uh, buckle of the Bible Belt in Canada. Here, and there are more churches in town in this town in Abbotsford than there are uh, per capita than there are across the country. But it's still very uh, benign compared to what you guys are facing down there. But I can still see it coming across the border. I mean, uh, we saw the uh, at the agri-fair, they brought in a creationist uh, uh, booth. Uh, there's now a creationist museum, apparently, in Alberta. So it, it's starting to seep across the border. It's starting to come across that evangelical creationist movement. Uh, it's a very disturbing thing because it's not just happening in, in Canada. I'm also getting reports that it's happening in Australia and in Scandinavia and in the UK. And it's really disturbing to me because I used to look at, at Europe as being you know older and therefore you know more mature mm-hmm. than the U.S. I mean, there was a time when, the, when England was what America is. Yeah, in as much as a uh, you know, hundred years ago, they were the British Empire. They were the most ethnocentric, most egocentric, you know, government that there was at the time. Because you know, the sun never sets in the British Empire. We are better than everybody else. And there's a whole lot of historical records that you can go through that where the British tout themselves as being the most superior, you know, nation or empire or people 
on the planet ever, mm-hmm. right? And and of course, this is a lot of the ways that, that, that the United States refers to itself now. But just you know, where England has you know, as I said, more more matured and um, debated, they've they've they now have a more sober uh, perspective on things. They're much more tolerant much more educated, mm-hmm. much more sophisticated than the United States in general. And I would think that the, the, the trends being what they are, that the United States would mature in like fashion. But that's not what's happening. Instead, we're spilling out our, our religious nuts into all of these other places, like, like in Scandinavia, you know, frequently referred to as a, as a secular paradise, right? You know, like extremely low crime rate, extremely high rates of education, you know, peaceful, wonderful existence, and the only threat to that is the influx of religious fundamentalism, whether it's Christian or Muslim. Yes, yes, absolutely. And there are some countries that are fighting back in some ways, although they haven't been all that successful about it. Even here in Canada, uh, we see, especially our conservative uh, politicians, are starting to mimic what they, they'll do in the United States, uh, not with any success at this point. I mean, even the prime minister at some point started saying, God bless Canada. And uh, even, the, remember, Rob Ford said the same thing, God bless the people of Toronto, and the reporters started laughing. Thank goodness for that. Uh, but you, you can see there's, there's, there's I guess, in their, in their mind, it's, it's, it's flyer, uh, they're trying to fly in the United States, and they're trying to turn Canada into essentially what's going on in the States, and I find that pretty uh, disturbing. The thing that gets me is if this is really not that difficult a thing to address. When I was a kid, there was a lot of things that, that fooled me into believing a whole bunch of pseudoscientific woo. There were uh, documentaries on TV that weren't that weren't real, that were made up. You know, they're talking about alien abductions and Bigfoot and things of this nature. We're still doing that today. And I thought I was outraged when I was a child, and I realized that that they were telling me things that were not true because I didn't know at first that they were not true. I was being duped by that. And I'm one of those people that I, I'm I'm finding is surprisingly rare. I'm one of those people who become agitated when I realize that I've been lied to. But mm. religious fundamentalists don't seem to have any issue with that. I mean, you're, you're just lying is just part of life. That's you're supposed to. You know, the ends justify the means. It's okay to lie if you're lying for Jesus and so forth. I, I, I can't understand that perspective. You know, that to me, resorting to lies is like resorting to violence. It's something that should be reserved for life and death situations. It's a it's the the last resort side of the thing, and it's not something that that you should do casually ever at all. And it's a point of honor, you know. And some people need to have that and for whatever reason. It's it doesn't seem to bother people when I'm arguing with these religious fundamentalists and they turn out to be wrong, of course. You prove that they're wrong. There's never an admission. There's never an apology. They just move right on past it and say, oh, I only said that because. Yeah, but a moment ago you said you didn't say that. Why don't you admit that you actually did say that, apologize and move on? Well, no, they want to change the subject. There's no there's no honor in this. There's no, there's no compunction. And what we're talking about, about teaching people things that are not evidently true. Now, you can weigh gray areas about, well, this is only a theory, and so we don't have absolute knowledge. Well, no, we, beyond reasonable doubt, we do have a scientific consensus, and this is the mainstream. That's what we're going to teach. We will allow in, you know, in our lessons that 
it is possible for someone to, at some point in the future, discover some flaw with this or that, but uh, the likelihood isn't really there. We're still going to stick with the mainstream science, and we're not going to talk about the outliers. We will allow the possibility. But when we're talking about people teaching in school things that are not only not evidently true, which is already dishonest, but which are demonstrably not true, then they should simply be called out publicly that this is what they're doing. There should be no tolerance for this. You have a freedom to believe whatever you want to believe. That's everybody's right, and I wouldn't deny that. But you don't have any right to lie to or misrepresent the facts to other people's kids in a school or in a church. Because I would object just as strongly. The reason that I don't go to church is because every time I sit down in the pews, somebody behind the podium starts lying to me. It's just always the case. Mm. And there's, of course, there's no two-way communication in this. And they, they, they claim that they're being persecuted if, they, if we don't allow them to oppress homosexuals and, and, and deceive other people's kids and get their own laws and then call, the call on their congregations to vote exactly the way they tell them to while still collecting their tax-exempt status. No, this is, not, this is not correct. This is not what we should allow. And the way to defeat religion in politics or society is to make public the statements, the, the facts that they are misrepresenting data, that they're, okay, fine, you believe this nonsense that you don't have a reason to believe, but you don't get to teach it as if it's true because we can prove that it's not. And that needs to be public statement. We need to stop respecting people's beliefs when they believe things that are not wrong. You would not respect someone for believing that Benjamin Franklin was the first king of America. <laughs> We've got the same thing going on here. Why would you respect – when somebody comes up and tells you something like that, when they say that Columbus discovered Ohio in 1942, you are going to correct that person. And then they will argue that there's no way that you can prove absolutely that Columbus never discovered Ohio in 1942. And if you get into solipsis, if you get into, into presuppositionalists, they've got arguments that, you, that could possibly defend that from their point of view. But you have to have at some point, in order to defend these people's positions, you have to take a stance that somehow reality isn't real. That there's that anything we know, we don't really know anything. Or that we have to know everything in order to know anything so that they can have some justification for their hokey nonsense. These people have actually said to me that we have a right to be wrong. <laughs> I'm not kidding. That's amazing. But the problem is, is we are not exercising our right to be right and to state boldly, this is what's right, what you're talking about is wrong, and it needs to be made public and it needs to be blasted so that these people simply can't get away with it. They can't get the respect for it. That They're getting undeserved respect mm -hmm. for pretending to believe things they know are not really true. Yeah, and after that, they'll often take refuge in philosophy when all fails, right? Uh, I yes. guess I guess my next question was you kind of answered it. I was about to ask you know that you've been involved with the Texas school district fight, and uh, I was asking why that was important. Uh, I mean, for us, I guess we don't see exactly why it's important, but I, I believe what you guys are is Texas kind of sets the standards for the school districts, right? Uh, for a lot of them, okay. uh, it's not so much now as it used to be, but uh, yeah, that's that's it's still pretty much the case. That Texas and California are such huge buyers of textbooks that whatever sells in Texas and California will sell to the rest of the country. The rest of the country gets what we ordered. 
And our Board of Education has actually been ordering publishers to put in misinformation, not kidding, Mm. to put in misinformation into the textbooks for our purposes. Only one of the mainstream mainstream publishers backed out of this last session when when they wanted to highlight or emphasize our Christian religious roots in giving specific credit to Moses as an inspiration for the founding fathers and to John Calvin over, you know, the, 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 the Democrats of Greece, only one of the publishers backed out and said, we're not doing this. And they were the only ones that had honor enough to do that. I would think that, that all of the publishers should have responded immediately with, if that's not true, then we're not going to print it. And we don't give a damn who you are. That's that's just the way it should have been. But the biggest publishers in the country are bowing to Texas when they say, we want your books to say this or we won't buy it. In your opinion, is that, is that a Christian influence or is that just like a business, you know, buyer beware kind of thing? Well, of course it's a Christian influence. It starts. It's not a religious thing, though. You have to understand that. This is a political issue. Creationism is a political issue. This is not a scientific thing. This is not a religious thing. Um, this is all about politicizing the classroom. What they're doing with science is the same thing they're doing, they're doing with history, which is the same thing that they're doing with sex ed and with social, sociology and so forth. They want the kids to believe a certain way so that they'll vote a certain way, and so they want to program all of their values into this new legion of voters and minions. Wow. Yeah, education, enlightenment, and free inquiry are not in the interest of the dominions that are currently in charge of my state. Our current governor is the reason why we have the Ten Commandments monument at the state capitol. He argued that what Madeline Murray O'Hare had achieved in 1963 with uh, getting... um, teacher-led prayer out of school. Yeah. He wants to reverse that, and he can ignore the, the Supreme Court on this as long as he wants to until somebody challenges him on it. But he hasn't he hasn't tried to implement it yet, but what he said he wants to do is to have the teachers in public schools leading prayer. So you have Protestant teachers leading Catholic students and Jehovah's Witnesses students and, Protestant, you know, and, and, and Mormon students and non-believing students in Protestant prayer, and they would have a legal obligation to stand and you know and 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 take part in that, because that was the law that Madeline Murray O'Hare overturned. There was a legal obligation for the students to participate and show reverence, and that was the most insidious part to me. Was you had to be reverent, you had to respect that religion that was being imposed on you, mm-hmm. regardless whether you believe it. And I can't imagine. Any, any Protestant, any any Pentecost that would ever tolerate being forced to you know, to to be involved in a prayer to Saint you know, to Saint anybody or the whole, the Virgin Mother, right? I mean, if you have a Catholic prayer enforced on Protestants, what is this Ireland? I mean, look look what happened to Ireland. In in Dublin, for example, when I was there, we had the World Atheist Conference. In, in Dublin, Ireland, and the reason that we did was because they had recently implemented a blasphemy law, and we were there to challenge that law. 
And at the same time that we were there, there was a, a Catholic advocate named Michael Voris who was conducting polls in Dublin. He wasn't from Dublin. He's from the United States, but he's a, he's a hardline Catholic. Mm-hmm. One of those guys that believes that after the, the latest Reformation, that uh, every pope since then has been an anti-pope and that the, the Catholic Church has somehow become evil uh, after, you know, this uh, event in 63 or thereabouts. But he's been conducting a poll on how many people in Ireland believe in God. He found one out of 20 who believes in God. Now, we're talking about a country where Catholicism runs every school. They're all religious schools. It is an integrated church and state. And maybe that's just what has to happen before people wake up. When you have religion forced on you, people start realizing that this is a bad thing. You know, and, and a lot of people that even live in the text, they don't even realize what's going on at this point. They don't realize what they're being fed in the classroom or what they're being fed by the news media. They have no idea. There's there so many people here that, that take Glenn Beck's word as gospel and watch Fox News and have no, re, have no idea that there's anything wrong with the information presented there. I'm surprised that guy's still around. I mean, whenever I go to the states for for business in Washington State, people say, "Oh, you gotta listen to Glenn Beck." Is he? You guys nuts or something? <laughs> I, mean, I I I don't even think the staunchest conservative in Canada can bring himself to vote Republican. <laughs> These Republicans are crazy. They're just nuts. But anyway, I digress. So it's, uh, you were saying that uh, you hate being lied to. Is that really what made you become such an activist, such a powerful activist? Uh, a powerful voice? Was it the fact that you've been lied to, or is there something else as well? That well, I don't know. I don't know what made me a powerful voice. I it, except that I mean, accuracy does matter. So I I don't just say stuff and have no expectation that there's going to be any repercussions if it's wrong. It matters if what I say is wrong. So I mean, uh, in in almost every video that I've that I've come up with, most of the information has been vetted and verified. But you know, somebody occasionally finds something that I said that was actually inaccurate and then there was some to have to be some kind of address for that. I did do an erotic video a number of things that, you know, like my biggest errors for my whole video series you know, in this video I said that it's actually this, you know, that kind of thing uh, and this is important, I mean if you're if you're educating other people my perspective is that Accurate information has practical application, and inaccurate information is going to lead people down the wrong path. If your premise is faulty, your conclusions are going to be faulty. And the basic information that I had when I was a child turned out to be completely flawed, and I based an entire worldview on flawed information. And I was an adult. You know, I was almost middle-aged before I realized the wealth of things that I had been lied to as a child that I never realized were lies. Mm-hmm. And this is very disturbing. This wasted half my life believing in something that was wrong. Now, fortunately, in my case, it wasn't it wasn't a, 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 a great loss. I mean, it wasn't anything that, that had me you know, investing all my, my savings in tithe to some tyrant somewhere. But it's, it's still, it's, it's running off a false premise for the entirety of my life up to that point, having been fooled, being deceived. You should be embarrassed when you turn out to be wrong, but you should also be thankful to people for pointing out that you are wrong because then you're not wrong anymore, right? And I would rather be proven wrong than remain wrong and never know it. Mm. And then 
the purpose of science. The purpose of science is to improve understanding, but the only way to do that is to find the flaws in your current perspective and correct them. Well, I, I, I brought up to your friend, uh, Peter Bergosian, uh, I, I said to him, I said, I think that's uh, at the base of the problem. I think one of the greatest feelings in the world is to be correct about something. And inadvertently, of course, one of the worst feelings in the world is to be wrong. And I think a lot of people would rather lie and cheat and do anything to admit that point, that they're wrong. And maybe that's... He disagreed with me, but I don't know what you thought about that. Well, I, I have some experience with uh, with the religious zealots and the admissions that they make. And many times, I'm sorry to say, religious believers have admitted to me that they don't care what the truth really is in one way or another. Uh, in one example, a woman told me that if she, if she had a time machine, and because I set up the, the situation, what if you had a time machine, you can go out, you can find Jesus. I don't believe there ever was a Jesus, but let's just pretend that we there's a Jesus, and she finds Jesus, and she sees him die and she sees him rot and never rise again. What then? And she told me that she hopes that her faith would be strong enough to allow her to believe anyway, even when her eyes tell her otherwise. Then we had in Questioning Darwin, we had the one admission that you know, if the Bible said that 2 plus 2 equals 5, yeah. that they wouldn't question it. They would find some way to believe it. And uh, I was in a movie called My Week in Atheism, where the, the, the Christian who made that movie uh, gave a sermon at his church that I happened to see on video, and he, he admitted that his own perspective is, by definition, delusional. He described his position saying that, I have evidence that A exists, but I choose to believe B. Although everything points to A, I'm going with B. Because it's a matter of choice. And way too often, when you listen carefully to what these people are saying, you realize that, that it, it's not about what's really true. It's about the consequence of believing that this is true. Ham, for example, he repeatedly says that the reason that you have to believe in a literal interpretation of the first half of the Bible is because if you don't believe in that, then how could you believe in the second half where the resurrection is and your salvation supposedly comes from? So, it's again, it's a consequence of whether or not you believe it, having absolutely nothing to do with whether or not it's actually true. And you often hear that admission. I have people telling me that they believe because they have to, or because they're afraid not to, or because if they don't believe, then they won't see their deceased son again. And I don't even know what to do with, with things like that. I mean, that's, that to me is not an attachment to the truth. It's not an attachment to facts. The truth is what the facts are. And so when people talk, want to talk about the absolute truth and asserting their, their truth or their truth of their belief, if it's not verifiably true, then it is not truth. You can ask the question, show me the truth of it. And that means they show me something in your, some aspect of your belief that is actually true. I mean, as I said, when people tell me on the, that there's never been any transitional species beneficial mutations or, or that no new species, no speciation has never happened, one species never turned into another one, et cetera, I can show specific examples to prove that these things are actually real and true. But the assertions that they make about their religious beliefs, they can't verify any of it. So I can show the truth of what I believe. They cannot show the truth of anything that they assert. Mm. 
And to me, that's what it all comes down to. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, before I go further, I gotta, I gotta ask you a quick question because you know I've got a, I've got a friend uh, who, uh, well, a couple of friends are helping us with the podcast. They were very excited about the prospect of you coming on, and he said, he says, if you ask, uh, if you're interviewing Arn, please ask him. He says, how was the Judas Priest concert, <laughs> and what was, the, what was your favorite hard rock or metal band? Okay, the the Judas Priest concert. I I I brought my boy. And and when my when both of my boys look like they belong in a metal band, my stepson looks like like Slasher, um, and um, what does my son look like? Kind of like uh, Jim Morrison, <laughs> a bit my biological son. But they, you know, they're both just long hair, studded leather, leather jackets, chains, and and looking like they're up for a criminal record. They both look like throwbacks from 1981, and. <laughs> And I'm delighted. I'm one of, the, one of those rare parents who my kids have my taste in music. And you mentioned what is my favorite band. My favorite band has always been, since probably 1982, my favorite band has been Motorhead. Oh. And I had both of my boys with me in the mosh pit, front row, at Motorhead here in Dallas. And oh, wow. I can't wait to do that again. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> So, um, like uh, we've talked about you being such an activist, um, the biggest problem I have with a lot of atheists, uh, I call them apatheists half the time, is what, 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 do you, what is your advice to people, like we said, you know, in Canada, it's starting to come across the border. It's, it's not a full-fledged battle like you guys. It's not, it's not perceived as a threat yet. So what is your advice to these atheists out there that are, uh, you know, wishy-washy about getting involved? What, what would... Arn Raw tell these people. And the mainstream really doesn't care with, doesn't bother themselves with anything that doesn't immediately affect their lives. I mean, I've actually had people tell me that if it doesn't directly reflect how much food I put on my table, then I don't need to know it. And it bothers me that people so often do not care at all about history, about science, about foreign policy, about anything going on anywhere else in the world or that doesn't immediately relate or reflect on them. Way too many people like that. However, uh, the only I don't know how you would inspire outrage at some of the things that are going on. I mean, I remember 1992, I was pleading with Christians to pay attention to Pat Robertson. Do you realize what he said yesterday, or if it was 92 or 94, one of those, He um, Pat Robertson said that uh, killing homosexuals would prevent earthquakes. And he encouraged his 30,000 some odd followers at the time to go out and kill homosexuals where you find them. Amazing. Yeah, because he said that, that uh, well, there was this huge uh, earthquake in like the Philippines or in the, in the Caribbean that killed a lot of people but didn't cause much property damage because the property is practically worthless. But if you had the same sort of thing going on in Bel Air, where almost no one was injured, but billions of dollars in property damages when a few mansions went up, right? So he's he looks at it only in the dollar value and not in the loss of life and says that the reason that this atrocity was visited against the United States was because he said that the United States is the only country that allows homosexuals to live. 
<laughs> and that's again where he was he was pleading with these people to go out and kill homosexuals. You'd be you'd be surprised how Christians don't care what Pat Robertson says ever. They don't care what any of the extremists say, but they don't. They also don't realize that the way that their donations work and the way that their votes work, they're being manipulated by the fringe. The mainstream is being guided around by the nose, and at some point they have to distance themselves and not just play the no true Scotsman and say, well, he's not a true Christian. Why are you supporting his organization, and why are you voting for his candidate then? You know, actually make a real stand and say, no, that's wrong. You can't say that, and you need to be out. Yeah, I don't know what it, it is. It just doesn't happen in the religious community. Yeah, I don't know what it is about God using natural disasters and storms to kill gay people because there must be a lot of gay people on Jupiter because there's storms down there all the time. So I don't know what the hell happened there. <laughs> yeah, see, here's the thing. You got a bias in the United States. If if a Muslim, some foreign country, says any kind of a hateful thing, we're going to broadcast that all over the news, right? But when John Hagee says that homosexuals should be locked up behind cyclone fencing and 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 forced to go extinct for not be you know for being isolated and imprisoned over the same thing should be done with uh, atheists that all atheists should be extradited out of the country we don't have any, we don't have national news networks broadcasting this the way that we would for any similarly bigoted statement coming from Islam right yeah yeah we need to look at our own. We need to realize that there have been and are Christian terrorists and that not all of the terrorists come from Islam. We need to have some accountability when our politicians say things like when uh, Brown, who's like the head of the science committee for North Carolina, says that, you know, that evolution is lies from the pit of hell. No, you've just ended your own career in a real in a world that isn't a parody of reality, but you know, what what should be reality when somebody's the director of a science committee and says things like this, goodbye. Go find another job. Maybe you can sell used cars somewhere, but you're no longer going to be in charge of science here. That's what should be happening. But we don't we don't elect people who are smart enough to be capable of doing their jobs because for whatever reason the United States is afraid of smart people. We want to we want to elect stupid people. Down home good old boys who have no idea what they're talking about, have no education, and have no background necessary to make the kind of nuanced decisions based on extenuating circumstances that are necessary. We want people that see things in black and white dichotomies and who are firm in their convictions and unwavering in their beliefs because that somehow is going to result in somebody fairly judging us. No, it can't happen that way. So the policy or the people of the U.S., and I realize I'm talking to Canada right now, but I'm, I'm speaking, of course, from my own country and, and the way I feel, especially in Texas, when people have no consciousness of what they're actually voting or what they're implementing or what the result is going to be. They, they can't see anything at the population level. They don't recognize trends. They only see individuals. You know, I mean, they literally see trees and not a forest. I don't know what's wrong with these people. It's very disturbing to me. I would prefer that the United States train its own people and you know the, the way a business would. I don't want the country to be run like a business, and I certainly don't want the country to be run by a business, which seems to be the way things are going. But I would like this one aspect where the United States realizes that in order to be 
competitive, in order to hold this boast that we're always making about being the best damn country there is, that maybe we should earn that at mm-hmm. some point. You know, and that maybe our people would be the scientists that other countries hire instead of sending their people to the schools we still have, which are still good schools, the colleges, to train scientists to then go back to their home countries. And then we have to hire foreign scientists because Americans don't know shit. Yeah. And, and most of the te- science teams, and I get obviously a lot of reports from scientists talking about this, where almost everybody in the scientific team will be a foreigner except the guy who's running it, right? And the one who actually got the grant. He'll be American. Everybody else is from somewhere else. And the only other American on the staff is the janitor. Wow. People should recognize that there's a trend coming here. And I don't, I can't fathom why they don't see that. Yeah, we we got pretty much the same thing going up right now with the conservative government really trashing and gutting everything that's science right now here in Canada as well. So we're going, we're pretty much on the same track. Uh, overall, looking at the future, positive? Well, I do, as I said, I'm able to see trends. And while I see how uh, Australia, Scandinavia, the UK, um, and to a degree Canada, they're all having the same complaint about the spillover of religious zealots from the United States. And of course, we're only we're talking about the spillover from the United States and we're talking about Christianity. We are also, of course, getting reports about the same kind of thing happening from Islam, both of which containing dominionist factions, which are very alarming. Uh, anytime you have a dominionist faction of any religion, that is alarming and should be suppressed or you know, properly addressed so they don't ever achieve their ultimate goal of dominating everybody else, which is, you know, they say is their destiny. But we do also have the information age, and if they haven't figured out how to shut everybody up, then the trend that I see is that more and more young people are walking away from religion. Uh, Here in the United States, we have kind of a polarizing situation, and this is going to going to bring an interesting outcome. Whereas once upon a time, you had the mainstream who believed in some aspect of the soul, possibly God, whatever. They had some kind of religious belief, but they also understood that you had to accept science because science is reality. Um, That middle-of-the-road person kind of doesn't really exist anymore. While religion is in decline across the country, and I think in every country, really, but across the country, and particularly in places like Texas, which is surprising. Um, While religion is in general decline, creationism, which is a form of religious extremism, is actually on the rise. And the only way that that can be, that both of those statistics can be true at the same time, is if people who accept science are rejecting religious beliefs, all faith-based beliefs altogether, which would be great, Uh, And the alternate is that people who embrace religion are rejecting science altogether. Because I want to make clear about something. Believing in God does not make one a creationist. A creationist is defined as someone who objects to evolution specifically, but in more general, the real attack of creationism isn't evolution. It's methodological naturalism. They want magic to be a scientific explanation. They want to assert as fact 
that which is not evidently true. They want to pretend to know things they don't know, which is a line I got from Peter Bogosian. He and I are, on, are of one mind on the aspect of how dishonest faith is in that respect. So we've got a polarized population of people who reject religion outright and accept only science and people who reject science outright embracing religion. How is that going to come to a head? Because it's going to have to. At some point, you're either going to have a conflict or you're going to have a phenomenal attrition where one side is just always on the ball and the other side is, as we've seen so far, the creationists are absolutely wrong about absolutely everything 100% of the time. I don't see how they can maintain. Hmm. Interesting. So what's new? Well, what's new? What's, <laughs> sorry about that. What's next for Arn Raw? For his rawness, what's next for you? What's coming up? You, this is your chance. Go ahead and plug everything you need to plug. Be shameful. Oh, well, yeah, I've got lots of things going on right now. One, um, and I, I don't have any final details. A lot of that's going to be coming later this week. Uh, we are making progress in our Phylogeny Explorer project. Uh, we've got a uh, we've got somebody working on the database now who's very excited, enthusiastic, and sharp. Uh, he's building the back-end database, which is the tree of life, and then we're having that represented on the front end by a bunch of different web pages. Not to, not to show specific species, but what I think is more important, to show the clades leading to those species, and then eventually we'll get to the, the species parts, or at least highlight some of them. We're never going to include all of them. That project, uh, we want to start independently uh, with uh, volunteer support, and we are making progress with it. What we're eventually going to do is we're going to turn that over to the scientific community once we can figure out a way to do that where uh, it's not dependent on any individual person, where it could be its own living entity and be of value to scientists, to teachers, and to students. We want to have a virtually interactive, easy-to-navigate, easy complete tree of life available on the web. And the way that I put out to represent that is going to be one that everybody understands when people say, well, you are a primate or you are an ape or you are a mammal or you are an animal. What does that word really mean that people are going to know? And I think that uh, phylogeny is absolutely the greatest proof of evolution there is. You don't actually need really anything else to demonstrate evolution than just that. But, of course, it's made up of aspects of all those other things. Another thing we're doing, uh, as uh, I'm sure you know, we're, we're doing the Unholy Trinity Down Under, where me, Matt Delahunty of Atheist Experience, and Seth Andrews of the Thinking Atheist Podcast are all going to Australia uh, in March. Uh, and I'm also hitting uh, New Zealand uh, as well. And so we're going to be doing Perth, Brisbane, Melbourne, and Sydney. Uh, and... Well, Unholy Trinity isn't doing Perth. Matt and I are doing Perth. That's a separate arrangement. Is there any chance we're going to see you in Canada soon? Uh, well, yeah, I'm supposed to go to Canada. Actually, Unholy Trinity is going to Canada in June, I think it is. We're going to be at Imagine No Religion 5. Oh, so we're going to see you there. Which I understand is a, sub, is a suburb of Vancouver. Vancouver is such a gorgeous city. I'm really excited to go back there. I'm bringing my wife with me. I'm going to have a great time. It's going to be, we're going to be with Richard Dawkins, Lawrence Krauss, Peter Bogosian, uh, Robert Price, and I'm I'm really excited. The last time I was there at Imagine No Religion, it was an excellent conference. The people who put that together did an extremely good job with it. They're very well organized, and I highly recommend anybody in the area that can go. If if you're not if you're in Canada, if you're in Western Canada, please go to that one. You'll enjoy it. It'll be it'll be well worth your while. 
Uh, we're also doing, and after we get home from Australia, we're doing the uh, uh, American Atheist Conference in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, which I'm doing actually as a motorcycle run. So I'm going to handful, have a handful of atheists riding with me. Uh, and then when we come back from that, we'll be home for only a couple of weeks or so. And then I'm actually going on a North Atlantic tour also. Uh, I will be in Ireland, England, Scotland, Belgium, uh, the Netherlands, Norway, and Iceland. And and that's going to be a, a, a another speaking tour. Uh, not with the Unholy Trinity, just you know, kind of myself, hitting different events there. So, uh, so it's looking like it's, 2015 is going to be a really good year, although very, very busy. I'm still halfway through my book. I don't know when I'm going to make any more progress on that because we're, we're doing the educational uh, video series, uh, trying to produce uh, three three or four videos like that a month. It's, it's a bit difficult to do that. Most of the time, I sit down at my computer laptop when I wake up, and I stay there until I can't stay awake anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so when when I call you the hardest working man in atheism, I wasn't lying there. Your schedule is brutal. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty tight. It's pretty tight. And but fortunately, uh through the through Patreon, we've actually been able to to get into this uh, full time, which has been a huge thing. I remember uh, for the longest time, almost everything that I did for the atheists or the secular or the skeptics community has all been while also maintaining a full-time job in the corporate world. And I remember actually saying to my, my boss a year or so ago that, that my job interferes with my work. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you have to plug in also the Robin show, right? The Robin podcast, right? Uh, the Raw Man podcast was very well received. I'm surprised how well that received how well that was received. We're actually number six on Spreaker in the religion category. Fantastic. And the big thing with the with Raw Man podcast, I like to rather than d- debate people over you know over their religious beliefs and everything, which is you know fun to do on occasion. But really, I, I what I want to do is I want to show progressives. I want to feature progressive people, people who are actually trying to fix things and might actually make a difference. And so I'm always asking for people to please notify me in any any capacity, whether it's an inventor, or a, a politician, whether it's, a, it's an activist you're aware of, regardless what the topic is, whether it's, you know, feeding the poor or improving technology or any, any kind of a socio-political environmental situation, let me know who it is that you think is actually doing some good, and I'd like to talk to them. And uh, it's a little disturbing to me how few responses I get to that. And of those, uh, very often the people that they suggest are, are people that are so so active that they're not capable of doing a podcast. So I'm always looking for guests for that show. Well, maybe you'll have us as a guest one day. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time, Aaron. I know you're a busy man, and uh, I guess we'll let you go now. And uh, goodbye from Canada, and uh, keep on working. You're, you're a great guy. Thank you. Thank you very much. And that was on Raw, everybody. Fantastic guy. Fantastic guy. Love to that. You know, he's uh, a lot of people call him a firebrand, but I think he's, uh, his type is absolutely needed. And there's something I uh, absolutely love about uh, one of his uh, uh, famous saying is essentially, um, ignorance is not just what you don't know, it's also what you won't know. So I think we have a lot to learn from this guy, and uh, we'll talk to him in the future for sure. 
time for my rant. So, the new year is upon us, and uh, we all did our merry celebrating and waved goodbye to the last year as it passed into history. We hugged and kissed and wished us all the best with the new year. It was some kind of a slate wiped clean, a new chance, a new beginning, and we were quite sincere about it. So why is it that every year looks like the old one? Chances are you're going to wake up tomorrow, go to a job you hate, to pay for a car you don't really need, and a house you barely live in, to impress people you don't really like anyway. It's a, the routine trap of our society, and the void it leaves in our life, it begs to be fulfilled. Is it any wonder that people will then turn to the lies of religion, promising them purpose and salvation? But you, my friend, are a free thinker. You can do better. So heed my advice, and do the one thing nobody does. Change one thing in your life. Life begins outside your comfort zone, when new horizons are explored and challenges are tackled, not in the comfort of the normal and mundane. The exploration of unknown possibilities, your possibilities, is what makes a good year and life worth living. Take us. In less than a year, we went from starting your own podcast to now being on the verge of doing a show on live radio broadcasting our messages, our message to thousands and interviewing interesting people in the movement, and although Karen is awesome, trust me, I'm nothing special, nothing different than you. So give it a try this year. What's the worst that could happen? Whatever the result, it's better than looking back on your life and say, I should have tried. You'll learn new skills, discover talent amongst you and your friends. Go ahead, try that business plan. Speak out against injustice. Get the body you wanted. Have a chat with that cute person that caught your eye. Become a better you, a better version than the you of last year. Only then can you say you had a good year, and the world will also be a better place for having you guys. Well, that was our show. Hope I didn't uh, bother you guys too much. I know Karen's not here to keep me in line, and I tried to behave. I tried to behave, and I really tried to, real hard. Um, the conversation continues. You can always send you sort of your love mail, your hate mail. At left at valley at outlook dot com. You can check out the website left at the valley dot com. Um, follow us on Facebook. You can always uh, send us your requests, something you'd like to see, something you'd like to hear about, something you think we should talk about, uh, an interesting guest, you know, suggestions or anything you want to talk about. We're still we're here for you guys. Um, and like I said, uh, we will be broadcasting soon. I don't have a specific day yet, but soon enough, I hope, at CIVL Radio. Until then, I guess, uh, I'll basically say uh, have a good night, guys, and uh, until next time, um, keep to yourself and uh, have a good year for 2015, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye now. Mm-hmm.